身体的合一。我为主被囚的劝你们，既然蒙召，行事为人就当与蒙召的恩相称。一切高ぶることなく入場で寛容の心を持ちなさい。愛を持って互いに忍耐し。Il y a un seul Dieu et Père de tous. Il est au-dessus de tous. Il agit par tous. Il habite en tous. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all? Amen. Thanks to our scripture readers, and to hear the language of the nations wasn't that awesome?、And、there's so many actually within the KGF Church family. I'm sure that we could have drawn on as we prepare for the message. Let those words sink into you and ruminate and meditate on them. Uh, by the way, just a couple things. If you want to hang out for a sermon discussion chat、uh, after this、uh, service this morning, you can do so on the website KGF Church、uh, forward slash the hub. You can just click click there on our website, and you'll be able to join in.、Uh, and that's af- right after about five or so minutes or so after the service is over. And there are sermon notes available if you go to the homepage, open another browser if you're online right now. And you can,、uh, or another page, go into、uh, the sermon section where you listen, find the date for today,、uh, Ephesians part eight, and you'll be able to download materials and the sermon notes if you want to follow along. And some life groups are using those、uh, as well. Kids, have a request for you today. You're getting lots of requests from me to use your artistic talents. And one thing I'd love for you to do today is to draw a picture of what you think you'll look like when you get big. Whatever that means, whenever that will be. Do you think you could draw a picture of what you think you're going to look like when you get big, and get all grown up, and send that into Marissa at kgfchurch.com. Marissa at kgfchurch.com. That'd be great. You know, growing up is hard.、Uh, one day, when our oldest son was three, we were visiting my parents, his grandparents. My mom had parked the school bus that she drove. Beside their home, and Caleb loved sitting in the driver's seat, and he wanted to be like Grandma. And what little kid doesn't love sitting like, like, wow, look at I'm driving a school bus, or at least pretending. And we were all in the house、uh, after the meal, doing dishes, and we were watching Caleb play outside,、uh, outside the front window. And then we got talking, and when we looked back again, he was gone, and the bus was gone. I kid you not. So we rushed out, and the bus had rolled back and had crashed into the corner of my parents' house. And Caleb was sitting there in the driver's seat,、uh, and proudly declared, "I drove the bus just like Grandma." Well,、uh, 
Of course, Grandma wasn't quite as thrilled with that. And it turns out that he had somehow released the emergency brake and gravity had done the rest. Wow. A few days later, Caleb visited other grandparents, his other ones, and, the, and that grandpa had a small business making surveying stakes. And the tips of those stakes were always painted in red. And Caleb loved being with grandpa to help do that. And on this particular day, grandpa was away and grandma was busy. And this three-year-old uh, was a wanderer. And Grandma found him in Grandpa's basement workshop, having painted almost everything that he could see red. Tools, the door, the floor, shoes, just like Grandpa. And Grandma saw red, if you know what I mean. This was a week in the life of our oldest. Whew, growing up is hard. And that was about the time Jen and I discerned that we had some growing up to do as parents as well. <laughs> wow. So kids, can you, can you think of a time, or maybe you've been told of a time, when you did something like that? Is there a story, a growing up story in your life that gets told in your family? After a while, they're funny. They're usually not funny in the moment, are they? But they're, usually they get funny eventually. Big people, can you think of a time in your life when you had a growing up moment? And they don't end, do they? We're still going through them. And these are some of the things in all of our lives. And, and they sometimes reveal some of the weeds that need to get pulled out. And you can check out what Marissa sent out about the soil in our hearts. Where God can grow his word and his life within us. And growing up tends to reveal things that need better soil. Growing up is hard. But growing up is the point, isn't it? Three-year-olds can do plenty of things that make us shake our heads, but we smile when we do shake our heads at them generally, or at least at some point. However, if at 13 or 33 or 53, we're still doing those kinds of things, well, it's not so cute anymore, is it? It's great to be childlike, but childish grown-ups are a problem. All of life, you see, is designed to move toward maturity toward being all grown up. The plants blossoming, blossoming right now all around us are going to move through a cycle of maturity toward fruitfulness over the next few months. And if they don't, we're going to get very disappointed. Everything in all creation is hardwired for movement toward maturity. You are too. You started out cute, but you're on a trajectory toward physical grown-upness, even at the expense of your cuteness. Sad to say. Even families and nations and movements grow up. Our family, we now have six kids, and we've grown in how we function and what we deem to be important and necessary for healthy development and purpose. We no longer let three-year-olds drive buses, for instance. We're not dumb. Nations. Nations can begin with expectation, and then holidays get created to mark their beginnings. But nations, they need to mature. And the type of leadership that's needed at the beginning is not necessarily the type of leadership that's needed at other times. And the things that we thought were good ideas at the outset can end up being really troubling as time passes and we grow up, like guillotines or residential schools. Movements need to mature as well. The fresh zest of that new company or that new idea or that new movement can grow like a weed only to disappear just as quickly 
if what is launched doesn't mature? Do you know that only 25% of new businesses will make it beyond 15 years? 30 to 40% of church plants don't survive past the first five years. So the fact that KGF is celebrating 60 years this year is actually quite an achievement. And doesn't it kind of feel like this COVID-19 moment that we're in is a great big grow-up movement and moment as well? We're all being tested. What's childish gets exposed. And what's mature is proving to be worth pursuing and bringing life. But growing up can be hard. Well, we come today to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, the scripture that those wonderful saints read for us. And we're going to celebrate communion as well in a little bit. Uh, And we're turning the corner as we come to Ephesians 4 on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Devin Scollin did a great job last week taking taking us back to Ephesians chapter 2, helping us see the past, present, and future of who we are as the chosen and adopted spirit-filled heirs of the family of God. We were without hope and without God in the world. We were dead in our sins, but God rescued us from sin through Jesus Christ and he's placed us in his family, the church, the ecclesia, the people called out from the world to take responsibility for the place and the assignments that God has given. And so Ephesians 4 turns the corner from what was sometimes in those first three chapters, I don't know how you were hearing it, but wow, there are some huge blow your mind thoughts in Ephesians 1 to 3. And it ended with a prayer, that huge prayer to the one who can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And then we left that prayer interlude now and we journey into the very practical. And sometimes we're going to discover over the next number of weeks the disturbingly small practical implications and applications of these big thoughts that Paul had described in Ephesians 1 to 3. In some ways it's like Ephesians 1 to 3 was the seed and the sun and the rain And chapters 4 to 6 are like the sprout and the stem and the bloom of the glorious and mysterious work of God. So are you ready to get practical? That's where we're headed. And remember as well that Ephesians was the city of change. She was the guardian of Artemis the Great. She'd been through eight political shifts in 1,100 years. It's like one every 150 years. And there was a riot when the message of Jesus came into the city in in the book of Acts. And Christians are just this small group of Jews and Gentiles, and they were the least likely to succeed. But Paul says that the big thoughts of the new identity in chapters 1 to 3 are who they are and what they are a part of, and that the implications and the applications of the truth of the gospel and God's vision for the church apply to them. If these truths could grow and survive in Ephesus... They can here too, you know. The big thoughts are for small places. The small obediences are for uncertain times. The seed of the word will grow where there's good soil. So as I said, you know, we just heard Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 read wonderfully for us. Those different languages, uh, different people. It's this reminder of these two holy tensions that we're a part of. The glorious and mysterious work of God To save sinners is for me, and it's for us. God works to save individuals. But me, the individual, is enveloped into the us 
of the family of God. The person who grows believing that they are the center of the universe is ultimately immature. And this is one of the hard and beautiful realities of growing up. In our teens, and I was there once too, believe it or not, in our teens, we're naturally narcissistic. We're focused on ourselves because we're figuring out who we are in relation to the world around us. We're trying to make a name for ourselves, seeking to discover our purpose and our contribution. But prolonged adolescence or narcissism has profound consequences on us and our world. And we all have moments that rock our narcissism and self-centeredness. One can be a crisis or a tragedy. A family event happens like it did for me when my dad had a stroke when I was 16. Or it may be more global in nature, like a world war, which some of you have lived through and experienced, or 9-11, or COVID-19. Sometimes the thing that rocks our world is having our assumptions about ourselves and the world challenged, like a first experience or a deep experience of poverty or injustice, like I experienced when I was 17 when I spent a summer as a rural kid from southern Ontario in the inner city of Portland, Oregon. Or sometimes our assumptions get challenged by knowing someone finally who has not experienced life as we've lived it, perhaps a refugee or a First Nations neighbor, or like my son Caleb, whose first years in an orphanage shaped his life in ways that were not of his choosing. We all need wake-up, grow-up moments What have been yours? Can you think of any? If you can't, don't worry, they're coming. (laughs) But Paul, but, and this is what Paul is driving home to the church in Ephesus, this ecclesia. The greatest wake-up, life-altering, history-shaping, story-rewriting, city-of-change transformation moment happened in the person of Jesus Christ. Have you really paid attention to who God is and what he has done for you and the world in Jesus Christ. Have you really paid attention to that? Set aside your preconceived notions. Actually consider what Paul has said in Ephesians 1 to 3, just 30 years after the resurrection. He is summarizing what the living Christ has been doing among people who once rioted because of the message. Ephesus was a city that thought it had it all figured out. Paul was a Jew himself who once thought he had it all figured out. But now here he is, he says in verse 1, a prisoner of the Lord. When the love of God overtakes us, we begin to see the world differently. We see ourselves differently. We become the soil in which God's good news is planted and can start to grow. And so if God designed a potato or a lavender plant or even a housefly, for goodness sake, to mature. Don't you think that he is in, has intended that we who are made in his image and were created to participate with him in the stewarding of his creation and his loving and just activity in the world, don't you think his intention is for us to mature as well? This is the practical stuff that Paul takes the Ephesians and us to as we head into chapter four. So where does Paul begin? Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, and he's writing this from prison in Rome around 62 AD, about 10 years after he had been to the city. Paul's own life 
is the story that he is writing. He thought he was all grown up. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees who persecuted Christians as a Jew. His, but his world was turned upside down when he met Jesus and he began to understand what God was doing in the world through Christ. And now he's in prison and telling the Ephesians, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because of this suffering. He had said that at the end of, in verse 13 of chapter 3. Don't lose heart. Because he has come to a mature, grown-up perspective. The young ecclesia in Ephesus, the city of change, was hearing the voice of maturity. And he begins with a call to walk. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Do you remember your first steps? Yeah, neither do I. (laughs) But growing up begins with a walk, with steps. The New International Version, which we've read here this morning, uh, verse 1, doesn't quite give us the full picture of what Paul's saying. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Uh, But in the original, literally, it's translated, exhort therefore you I, worthily walk the calling to which you were called. And that's choppy English. But what the NIV uh, doesn't quite get is it doesn't... Put that word walk in there. Uh, It catches that to walk means that we're learning to live out something. But the central text, the, the, the original text is moving us to understand that there is a walk that is happening in our life. And learning to walk is about growing and learning. A walk of life that reveals who we are. And so Paul ties this thought at the beginning of chapter 4, back to the last place he used this word in the letter, which is precisely where Devin had us end up last week at chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And again, the New International Version, which that was, has the right sense, but it hides that the word walk is also there. The English Standard Version says it this way, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are to walk out our new identity as the adopted heirs in the world. We are learning to walk out the purposes of God's household. We are moving toward being all grown up. And so the good news, you see, is not an idea. The gospel is not an idea. It's a person and it's a way of life that we walk out together. And so Paul calls the church to walk worthy of their calling. The summons to which you have been summoned. The call to which you have been called. And the you there is plural. It's not individual. Because when we tend to read these verses and read scripture, we think first as individuals that Paul must be talking about my unique calling. And just like we assume back in chapter 2 verse 10 that he's talking first about the good works that I am to do. Even though he clearly says in chapter 2 verse 10, it's we, we. But that's not, so Paul's not talking the individual here. He's not first anyway. What he's saying is a desperately maturing step for us as human beings. We need to understand that our first call is not only individual, it is corporate. 
Maturity happens best, you see, in community. It's why most of us are feeling that something is desperately missing in these days of isolation. Because we need community to be healthy, to grow, to mature. And so God has determined to reveal himself into the world to the principalities and powers, not through a disconnected smattering of individuals, but through a united family, through a fellowship, which is why even though you might be watching this in isolation, the good news is that as we watch this and participate as a community together this morning, we are actually a people, a community. This is the calling that we have received. Virginia Woolf the great author of Another Time, said one of the signs of passing youth is the birth of a sense of fellowship with other human beings as we take our place among them. Learning to walk begins with the awareness that I have a part to play in the church, in the ecclesia plan of God. And the calling that we're a part of is to this ecclesia of hope. We are the unlikely people of God, the church, for the sake of the place that we call home, a community of hope. This is why we must grow up and walk out our calling. So in verses two to six, how does this begin to look? We are complete to be completely humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another <laughs> in love. Wow. Make every effort to keep maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace because there is one body, one hope, or one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So do you see where Paul's moving it? These massive thoughts and implications of Ephesians 1 to 3 now gets so simple, practical. The application is grow up with humility and gentleness. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is maturity. And this only happens in community. We walk out the calling of the ecclesia, not by lavish schemes or grand visions or being the next great online thing, but by practicing the simple yet powerful human need for humility, gentleness, and patience. Listen, it's easy to stream church. It's a calling to live it. The church lives her summons by living like a healthy, healthy body where every part defers to one another. The church lives not an organizational vision, but a family life that is sourced in our Heavenly Father. And this is so crucial. This is so crucial. So please listen. We don't create unity. Paul says, be eager to keep to maintain, to give full diligence, to guard the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look at your body. The unity of your physical body is something that all parts work together to maintain. Your body is an interconnected and interdependent unity that you didn't create. You maintain it. When just one part is injured, or stops functioning, it impacts the unified health of the whole. 
And the more healthy our parts, the greater the possibility of the full maturing of our physical bodies. And it's the job of the liver to remain a liver, not to try to be a lung. Unity is maintained as every part lives their assignment and receives direction from their head. That's how your body functions. And so the ecclesia in every location, in every period of history, must eagerly work and walk to maintain the unity of the spirit. We diligently guard, you see, what already is by the power of God. We didn't save ourselves. Remember, that's what Devin reminded us back in Ephesians chapter 2. We didn't save ourselves and we don't unify ourselves. Our identity in Christ is a positional seated with Christ reality. And so is the unity of the body of Christ. It is what God has done. Unity is not something we create. It is what God created. When in the body of Jesus, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility and reconciled us to one another. Unity is something Christians already have as co-heirs with Christ. It is unity, it is this unity created by the Spirit of God that dwells in us and is the deposit and the guarantee of all that God has richly promised to us. This unity between humanity and God and humanity with one another and humanity with creation is of the Spirit. And so it means, my friends, that we need to follow the leading of the Spirit to maintain it. This unity is what the Spirit creates. Love, joy, peace, patience, the things that Tasha's family wrote on their driveway. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And that fruit maintains the unity of the Spirit. It's whether we choose to maintain the unity that is one for us in Jesus, that is the question. Ah, so here's where it comes down to this simple application, this too close to home reality. The question is, am I working to diligently maintain the unity of the spirit that God has created? If I follow my pride, if we follow our wants and our desires and our, and our own pursuits, this unity of the spirit is shattered. And it's the incapacity of Christians to grasp this that has damaged our witness of the glory of Jesus. I don't, like some, I don't like something a brother or sister in Christ has said, so offense festers in me and bitterness takes root and I retreat from the church, not the organization. I retreat from Christians, from the body of Christ instead of see the opportunity to walk out the gospel. I treat a sister or brother in Christ with contempt, gossip and judge rather than listening and seeing them as saved by grace just like I am. I don't like the music or the pastor or the vision or, or the stream and so I walk out my likes and choose them over the unity of the Spirit and I make church about my organizational comforts and the ecclesia is robbed of her power as the forward movement of the saints gets derailed by our capitulation to the consumeristic and drive-through spirit of the age that permeates our living. And I confess, sadly, that this is often how church leaders have functioned. I'm sorry where that's happened. 
because sometimes we'll live in competition with one another, seeking to prove who's best or why people should like our brand of church. And this too is disastrous, sinful. And all this, all of this, all of it is just fundamentally, friends, it's sinful. It's immature. Rather than diligently guarding the unity of the Spirit, we abandon the holy calling of the ecclesia and seek a religious buffet of our own desires. We can find any teacher who will support the thing that we want. Or we build temples to ourselves. We expect the church as a collection of humans to be for me what I won't allow Jesus to be. My brothers and sisters in Christ, they're human like me. Like we're, we're human together. We need a savior and we're learning to walk and grow up together. It is the Lord Jesus to whom I should go first for my healing and my wholeness and my salvation and not put that expectation on any other person a friend, a spouse, or a collection of saints who are learning to walk. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the source of new life and living hope. He made it possible for the sinner to become the saint. I wasn't saved by what I had earned, thank God, and neither were any of you. We must learn to walk toward maturity as those who know Jesus and the vision of God for the church, the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Verse, chapter 1, verse 23. Otherwise, we keep acting immaturely like the dwarves in the last battle of the Chronicles of Narnia, blindly sitting in our little circles shouting, the dwarves are for the dwarves! <laughs> While the battle against the powers of darkness rage. You see, there's only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As opposed to the multitude of idols that we can follow and the Ephesians, you know, they were the guardians of Artemis and other gods belonged to other cities and throughout the Roman Empire all named Caesar Lord, but there were other lords and kings throughout the earth. As opposed to the pantheon of worldviews and convictions that can rule life and we have no less choices today than the Ephesians had in the first century AD. In light of all this, Paul reminds the Ephesians there is only one. When the members of God's household diligently guard the unity, the oneness of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we are in practice growing up to be like our Father. We're growing to be like our big brother, Jesus, who is Lord of all, including over Caesar. We are growing up into the life we have said is the one life worthy of being immersed and baptized into. We are growing up into that which is the one faith we are persuaded is worthy of wagering life and eternity on. We do greatly the small things of humility and gentleness, patience, and forbearing with one another. We guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we live from the identity we have been called to. And we grow up into the identity we already have in Christ. This full-grown maturity of the church in the world. The ecclesia for the sake of the world. Hinges on learning to walk out what isn't automatic. And God's going to give us opportunity. He'll give you opportunity. There are chores in the household 
of our Father? Are you walking with humility and gentleness? Are you patient and bearing with others with the self-denying, covenant-keeping love that flows from being seated as an heir with Christ? And just as the church works hard to contend for the truth of the gospel of grace that saves, never giving up in freedom what was never given up in persecution, so we work hard to guard the unity of the Spirit. Our theology, you see, and our practice are one. We don't just listen to talks like this online so that we can know more, but so that we can live better, to mature, to grow up. And where do you need to grow up and do your part in maintaining the unity of the Spirit? And this unity, you see, is only possible where there's diversity where languages and cultures collide, where, the, where every member, every organ does its part to guard healthy unity. And when we're stuck in times like this and small Christ-like living and small isolated realities is all we have to practice, what does this begin to look like? Listen, you know, the kid who grows up playing before th- and then grows up and then plays before thousands of fans is usually the one who practiced unseen in their backyard for years. So how's practice going in your own court these days? Our one Father has sent us to practice. The strength of the ecclesia in the world, in our city of change, our capacity, KGF, our capacity to adapt and become who we now need to be for the sake of the gospel in this time and place will depend greatly on what each one of us are learning and learning to put into practice in small ways right now. The calling of which we are called is the history-altering hope of God in Christ and his fullness revealed in the life and work of the ecclesia who take responsibility for their time and place. It means growing up and maturing into this great calling. Our unity, you see, was brought about by a great price, and it will be guarded now by doing small things greatly. We can all, I'm sure, confess our failed practice these days. I know I can There's nothing like these times to test humility and gentleness, patience and endurance. Guarding the unity of the ecclesia actually is being tested in these days. What failed practice needs repenting in your life today? Don't beat yourself up. He was beaten for you. (laughs) Don't beat yourself up. When the Spirit of God brings those things to life, it's for maturity. It's for growing up. Confess. Know who you are and who we are together because of what God has accomplished and then grow up a little bit more into that true identity. And so we come to the table today. We need this table. I'm just going to slide this over here. We're called here. We're comforted here. We're steadied here. And we're united here. 